You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Save a Pooch on Pet Life Radio. I am your host, Beverly Isla. Thank you for tuning in. Now, if any of you have come across a situation where your pet was injured unexpectedly, the emotions of panic and fear, wishing we could make it all better in a split second would be familiar. So today's show, we are going to discuss the topic of first aid for pets and how knowing the techniques can mean avoiding a hefty vet bill and possibly saving a life. And our guest today will be Lisa Wagner, owner of Walk and Wags Pet First Aid based in Vancouver and Dr. Deborah Mandel, emergency service veterinarian and American Red Cross pet care advisor based in Pennsylvania. And when we get back, from these messages, we'll talk with our first guest, Dr. Deborah Mandel, about her work and her insight on pet first aid. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Nature at its best is nature at its simplest. At Red Barn, we've kept it simple for 20 years by concentrating on single-ingredient natural dog treats. Because Mother Nature's actually pretty good at this. Bones are just tasty bones. Meat treats are just nourishing meat. It's nature at its simplest. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Natural Treats. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Try our slow-roasted natural meaty bones. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with veterinarian Dr. Deborah Mandel, who specializes in emergency services. Thanks for being an expert in today's show, Deborah. Absolutely. How are you today? I'm good. Well, it's a Monday, but it's hot and uh, I can't complain. (laughs) So how did you niche into emergency services? I haven't heard too many veterinarians niche into that. Uh, Well, there are a lot of emergency veterinarians or veterinarians that practice emergency medicine. I actually specialize, meaning I did a residency in emergency and critical care. Uh When I was in veterinary school, I realized how much I loved emergency and critical care and did an internship and realized even more and then did the residency at the University of Pennsylvania. And now I work solely in the emergency room at the veterinary hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. Wow, you must be one calm woman, huh? (laughs) (laughs) You do have to remain calm, no question. (laughs) Now, considering the amount of dog owners or pet owners in general there are across North America, and I'm not sure of the amount that took a course in pet first aid. I'm under the impression it's not too large. Maybe you can explain exactly what is first aid for pets that owners can do on their own versus only a veterinarian can handle this situation. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's a it's sort of a fine line. I mean, the yeah. most important thing that I want owners to know is being able to recognize if they're having an emergency. And as everyone or many people know, but some don't recognize, is dogs and cats are very, very good at hiding their signs. And until a disease is actually fairly progressed, and so they could be showing only very subtle signs that if you're not 
truly aware of or checking, they easily can be missed. And so by the time they show more concrete signs or stronger signs, the disease process can actually be fairly advanced. So my biggest goal is teaching owners how to look at their pet's gum color. Is it nice and pink? How to check their heart rate or pulse rate, even take their temperature at home, sort of check their breathing rate, all sort of your normal vital signs where you should be able to know what's normal. And then if there's any questions, check those things to see if there's any concern. And certainly any changes in those things are a true emergency. Now, is this every Um, day that they got to do this or just once every day? Not every day, not every day, but you want to do it often enough so that if there is an emergency or, you know, there are times where you might come home or or find your pet collapsed. And so those are the first things that you're going to want to check. But you have to be comfortable with what's normal when you're in that sort of panic stage and upset stage, you're going to want to know what's normal easy enough to say, okay, this is definitely abnormal. And obviously, you know, that is a situation where you have to go to a veterinarian. Mm-hmm. There are definitely choking emergencies. And I've oh, seen that's a good emergency that owners can potentially make a big difference at home or if they're out, you know, outside somewhere yeah. doing, you know, abdominal thrust or different maneuvers to try to alleviate the choking that can certainly help. And there are situations where if an animal sustains trauma or has any upper airway disease, I've had owners actually start rescue breathing for their pets if they stopped breathing. And that has made a big difference, you know, by the time they go to a veterinarian. There are some simple first aid things that owners can do for simple cuts or abrasions. You know, a, a very classic one is owners that are grooming with scissors, which we never oh. recommend because we've definitely seen lots of scissor emergencies. Yes. So you don't want to do that. But if it's a very small, tiny cut, you know, that might need, not need to be addressed as long as the owner has clippers and can scrub the area and clean it. The majority of times, something like that would need sutures and potentially antibiotics. We've also had owners where they've had dogs running in the park and they step on something and start bleeding from a pad wound or paw wound and owners will wrap or bandage the yep, bandage the legs Mm -hmm. and that makes a big difference. Again, things that owners can do at home, not necessarily to prevent a veterinary trip, but can make it a lot better, easier, potentially life saving by the time they get to a veterinarian. Yes, yes. I, and I know the, one of the common ones I see is dog fights. Oh, yes. So that's we see that a lot. Puncture. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there are ones that are sustained in a dog park and there are ones that are sustained, you know, if a dog's going for a walk and there are ones that, that are sustained just with, with housemates. Yeah. And, and the problem with dog bites, the real problem is, you know, you might just see a small wound, but there actually yeah. could be pretty extensive damage underneath. See, so, I and they, always, they will always require antibiotics. I mean, I guess it couldn't, can be common sense to stop the bleeding, but should a puncture, you know, have blood splurting everywhere? And I've seen that. Is it just best to apply pressure in that? Yep. Any bleeding, you want to apply direct pressure. You know, very similar basics as in human medicine. You apply direct pressure for five minutes if what you're holding okay. soaks through. You never remove that gauze. You just put more gauze on top of it, which is sort of your, your gut reaction is to remove that one, but that actually is probably taking off a clot if it's trying to form. If you truly have an arterial bleed, then you can apply pressure 
you know, with your hand or something else directly. It depends on if it's spurting like an arterial bleed, sort yeah. of pumping out like the heart, you would put it above what's spurting, obviously not on the neck. We're talking about limbs. And then if it's sort of oozing, but profusely, you can do it below, below what is where it's sort of a venous type bleeding. Okay. And do that again until you can get to a veterinarian so they can suture. Huh. Okay. Now, the one that is not as common, and I, I should actually know this because I do walk one of the dogs that have epileptic seizures. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, when I do walk that dog, it's like, okay, not today, not today. Because <laughs> all, all I know is uh, just to let them ride it out. And Yeah, pretty and much. You know, that you want to, if you have an animal that, if you have a dog or cat that is a known epileptic or known animal that seizures, you really just uh-huh. want to make sure they're not in an area where they can injure themselves, the top of the stairs right. or anywhere where they can, you know, fall down or injure themselves. They're not going to swallow their tongues. You definitely don't want to put your hands in their mouths. And the times where it becomes a true emergency is if they're not coming out of a seizure after four minutes. If they're going into a seizure, coming out, going back into a seizure, coming out, they're doing what are called cluster seizures where they're having many. There's a post-seizure type period where they can act a little quiet. Some might act even blind, but that's pretty short-lived. If there's any neurologic signs... There's a, yeah, it's called a post-dictal phase. Oh, but again, okay. usually that's only minutes, you know, not a really long time where people do appreciate that they're sort of coming out of the seizure and, and recovering, but that shouldn't really last that long. But the seizure itself, if there's more than one or two in 24 hours or they're not coming out of the seizure or they keep going in and out of seizures, that you definitely want to get to a veterinarian for IV medication. Oh, my God. Four minutes would seem like forever to me. <laughs> Jeez. Absolutely. And that's why we actually say get, you know, get a watch because even 30 seconds Jeez. seems like an hour. No question. No question. And the only thing is the owner also told me when it happens, a lot of dogs will come and, and see what's going on. And they just said, try to hold those dogs back. So that would be yeah. another challenge yeah. to this kind of a scenario. And all dogs really seizure differently. Some do lose consciousness. Some have some degree of consciousness and some, you know, very, very uncommonly bulldogs get aggressive. So, you definitely want to keep other animals away. That is yeah. very good advice. Yep. Cross my fingers. It's not going to happen. So what do you suggest <laughs> people take a course on first aid? I mean, there are several choices, I, I suppose. The Red Cross did. They do not offer courses anymore. The best thing to do oh. is really ask your veterinarian and okay. see many veterinarians or referral hospitals, emergency hospitals may offer courses, pet first aid courses for their clients. Again, big referral hospitals do it pretty commonly. So I would just, I would just sort of talk to the veterinarian. There is the Red Cross does have a pet first aid app, which goes through 25 common emergencies. It goes through how to know what's normal for your pet. It goes through disaster Uh preparedness. It has a pet hotel locator, emergency veterinary hospital locator. So that's also a good source. Is it preferable that the pet owners are in person or does it matter if it's online or... I know a few that are online. I think it's really dependent on the person and how they learn. I would think if, they, if they're going to do something online or through an app or anything uh-huh. like that, you know, have them, you should do all of that and then kind of go through everything with your vet and make sure you feel comfortable and, you know, know everything correctly. I think yeah. it would probably be the easiest. Okay, good to know. Now, let's get into a little bit about insurance just because I have a lot of debate on this with um, certain people. They say, oh, we don't need insurance, but I'm kind of on the the side where I think (laughs) insurance would be helpful. 
helpful. So what can you suggest in terms of including pets in uh, insurance or emergency plans? Well, the homeowner's insurance won't include pets, but there is pet insurance. No, no, but there's pet insurance that you can get. So homeowners, as far as I know, and uh, it's come up multiple times, you can't necessarily include your pet in your homeowner's insurance. However, you can get pet insurance. And for people who have pet insurance, it has been, when they have it and there's a problem, it's been extremely helpful. The biggest difference that we see between health insurance, which obviously, again, you know, that you can't include your pet in your health insurance plan, but the biggest difference between health insurance and pet insurance is if you have to go to an emergency hospital or veterinary hospital, you pay the bill and then you get reimbursed rather than your insurance, you know, deciding about paying the bill and then you have to pay. So that's the biggest difference. But everyone who I've come across who has pet insurance, it has definitely enabled them to be able to treat their pet when they otherwise may have not been able to. Yeah. So I definitely recommend all owners finding out about that, you know, seeing if it's a good option for them. Obviously, you never want to think you're going to have a problem. It's always better to be prepared. Yeah, exactly. 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 I know it may differ from there in the States, but where I'm from, Ontario, I think they're starting to include pets and home insurance. (laughs) Really? Really? That's really interesting. I'd like to see how that unfolds because we, Mm -hmm. I think the biggest place that I've seen it is actually with dog bites and owners wanting the other owner, you know, the owner of the dog that did the biting, they want that owner's homeowners to pay for it. And that's certainly not something that's an option. So that would be really interesting how it unfolds. Yes, it would be. (laughs) But bringing to your other question about including your pets in your emergency plans. Yeah, I'm not too, I'm not too sure about that. What's that about? So that is a huge, huge thing as well. And it became blatantly obvious after Hurricane Katrina that owners had to include their pets in their disaster and emergency planning because owners are not going to leave their pets. And we saw that they would rather endanger themselves or need to be rescued rather than not know where to take their pets. They would just stay at home with their pets. And that's obviously not a a good decision. So basically, you want to, you know, along with you should have a first aid kit and a disaster kit for yourself or every household should have that. You want to include items so that you can take your pet with you. And you want to have sort of a plan on if you have to evacuate, even if you're not in an area that has flooding or hurricanes, tornadoes, there are other things that can happen, even a fire, a house fire, there are other things that can happen that would necessitate you to evacuate and you need to know where you're going to take your pet. You know, if you can't, if you need to go to a hotel, Uh do you know of a pet-friendly hotel to take them to? If you need to go to family members, do you know which family members will let you take them? So those are things that you should really know, obviously, ahead of time to know what you would do. And as far as needing to evacuate, the other big thing, which, you know, again, you don't think of, is if there's a fire... Your pets are going to potentially hide from an alarm, so you need to know where they hide so you can get them in a hurry. And you should have leashes and carriers or things that you can, you know, again, get them and leave the house with them readily available near near exits. 
that's a lot of <laughs> little things that we should all really pay attention to. That's for exactly, sure. Exactly, exactly. No one ever thinks, you know, it's, it's just that yeah. age-old adage. You don't think it's going to happen to you and, until something happens. And so Hurricane Katrina was the big one. And we've had hurricanes around here. I live in Pennsylvania. It's not a huge, you know, place where we think of that. But we've had two that people lost power for a week. People did need to go to other shelters. And so oh, needing to, you know, being able to know, have peace of mind yes. that everything is taken care uh, of beforehand. Yeah. That would be nice peace of mind. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your uh, insight, Dr. Man- is it Mandel? Absolutely. Mandel, Mandel yes. Right? Mandel. Okay. Mandel. Yep. So if people want to know more about your work, is there any website that you can recommend them to? Well, I have the, uh, you know, at the Penn Vet, University of Pennsylvania, Veterinary Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, Penn Vet Emergency Service. They have some information there. The Red Cross just has, you know, how to get the app on Android or Apple. Oh, okay. It's a long link. (laughs) We'll put it on the uh, show page (laughs) instead of say it. Well, thank you so much. Absolutely. So let's go to a quick break and we'll return with our next guest after these messages from our sponsors. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Calling all pet product manufacturers and pet experts. Let the public relations and marketing professionals at Whitegate PR get you featured in the news. I'm Dana Humphrey at Whitegate PR, and we have been specializing in pet product PR for over 10 years and can get your brand featured in the media from TV to radio to print to blogs. You can find out more at www.whitegatepr.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Save a Pooch. We are talking with Walks and Wags, Pet First Aid's founder, Lisa Wagner. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for taking some time with us today. Hi, Beverly. Thanks for having me. It's great to see uh, what you've created. Like your organization offers a recognized National Pet First Aid Certificate Program, right? We sure do. Now, is your focus across Canada or national? We are based in Canada, so most of our classes are offered here. We do oh, in have person? Instruct- yeah, in person. Oh, okay. And in the U.S., we have several instructors teaching in Seattle, Washington, and soon we'll be expanding into California. And then the end of this year, we'll actually have an instructor teaching in the U.K. Oh, so you guys focus more on the uh, hands-on techniques, I suppose, right? Yeah, well, we do have a distance learning program available as well because we obviously can't offer in-class courses everywhere. That's so true. So the distance learning program, we can offer that basically anywhere. We ship it all over the world. Oh, interesting. 
I know I was looking at yours when I was uh, wanting to learn some first aid, so I'll definitely be in touch. <laughs> there you so, go. You can be one of our next students. Yeah. So I know this may be obvious, but um, in your opinion, what's the importance of pet first aid? So first of all, there's two reasons that we think pet first aid is important. The first yeah. one is that we want clients to be able to actually step into a pet emergency, reduce an animal's suffering, and then potentially even improve the outcome of that animal. In a lot of places, particularly here where I am in Vancouver, we don't have access to an animal ambulance, so we're the only first responders that they have. The second important thing is we don't want to see emergencies happen in the first place. So with our program, it's 10 hours long because we place a, a strong emphasis on preventing illness and injury and early uh -huh. detection. And our theory is why not just keep pets safe to begin with so that we don't even have to perform first aid. When is it a wait and see? And when is it a, an actual emergency? Exactly. And that's a little tricky to describe here. What I can say is that when you come out of a pet first aid program, you'll have a sense of, how to read your pet's vital signs to be able to tell if they're normal or abnormal, how to see signs of pain and distress and determine whether that's something that needs a vet now or that's something that needs first aid and then can wait. Right, right. But how would first aid apply to, um, I'm going to spin it off here a little bit. How would first aid apply to, say, rescue dog concerns? I know that these concerns may vary across the board, but have you come across any type of situation like that? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. Our company's a huge proponent of animal rescue. All of our head office pets are rescues, and oh, it's a big deal to us. Yay! There aren't necessarily injuries that pertain to rescue animals, but what I can say is a lot of our clientele either work in animal rescue or they work in animal shelters. What they tell us is being able to assess animals as they come in and determine whether or not they need immediate veterinary care and being able to monitor their ongoing health is really significant to them. Also, yeah. a lot of animals from rescue are fostered in private homes. Yes. And these yeah. families need to be able to keep tabs on the health of the animals that are in their care while they're there. I mean, we don't know the history of a lot of these rescue pets, yeah, right? True. So we have to yeah. be able to know what to look out for. That's actually, that should be mandatory for foster volunteers. Yeah, there are some rescues that try and put all of their staff through. Obviously, rescues have really limited funding, so our instructors do our best to, you know, to accommodate that. But definitely, they are a big portion of our clientele. Yes. I guess, what are the common incidents that you've come across? Maybe we can get into that. What are some of the incidents you've come across that you think owners should really know how to handle? We hear from a lot of our participants or people that are interested in taking the course with any story you can possibly think of from poisoning, animal attacks, falls, pets hit by cars, choking, I mean, you name it, it's possible that it could happen. So I don't know that there's any specific couple of things that tend to happen, but uh -huh. if I was to encourage people to do one thing to improve their animal's potential outcome in an emergency, the thing that we do see happen a lot uh -huh. is that people don't carry first aid kits. They just don't have oh, pet first yes. aid supplies. So, yeah. you know, you imagine you're out on an hour-long hike in the middle of nowhere and your pet becomes seriously injured and you just don't have the supplies on hand. It makes it so much more challenging to be able to perform first aid, even if you have the skills. Right. So right. What's that's in there? a big one for Is us. it the same thing as for humans? 
Yes. So if you do only have a human first aid kit with you, definitely break into that. There are a number of different pet specific first aid kits on the market where all of the items inside are safe to use for pets and they usually come with a few instructions as well. But, you know, just make sure you carry some supplies, even if it's just a really tiny, basic, small kit. Yeah, yeah. What's funny is uh, <laughs> we were at a dog park and we had a, a like a pet first aid kit with us, but it didn't go to the pet. It went to an owner that got bit. <laughs> so it can it can work for more than one ways. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that because my pet first aid kit has band-aids in it and they're probably the thing that I replaced the most. Oh, okay. Okay. But yeah, oh, for wait me. A so you put, oh, for you. So you would have right. put it on a dog. <laughs> That's funny. No, those are for me. The one thing okay. I keep in there for me. <laughs> okay. But for dog bites, what is your take on, because that's probably one of the most common ones that happens. What is your go-to? Like, what's your strategy there? Yeah. So for dog bites, obviously the most important thing is to keep yourself safe. If you can't step in, and help an animal safely, then that's going to be a bit tricky. So that would be the first step in a dog bite. With respect to what items you would need from your kit, that would be one where you could just deal with it with a basic kit. So hopefully you'd have some kind of antiseptic wipe in there to be able to clean it up a little bit. Even better, if you can use uh, water and some kind of soap that you have available on hand to really wash it out thoroughly. And then, of course, we need gauze pads, gauze rolls to give it a nice good bandage. Depending on where it is on the body, I like to keep pieces of nylon or baby socks in my first aid kit because that can help slide over top and actually hold a bandage on afterwards. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 Just depending on the size of a pet. So, you know, if they're small, then we'd use baby socks. If they're bigger, we'd use a piece of nylon. Okay. I did have a question actually with a uh, dog walker today and it just came to mind. Have you heard of, uh, what is it? Bloat? Is it bloat? When mm-hmm. they, yeah, yeah, that I've never really knew about until recently. So now, when I walk dogs and it's hot here now, it's now I'm trying to. Is it true that they can't drink as much water? Otherwise, they have the potential of bloat, and then you have only minutes before they have the potential to die. Yeah. So the real name for bloat is gastric distension and volvulus, which basically means the stomach distends. And then the volvulus part is it twists. So that basically blocks everything off. And because it twists like that and blocks everything off, you usually only have up to a couple of hours to receive emergency veterinary care. You're right about water. If an animal is really, really thirsty and they just, you know, drink the whole bowl really quickly, then that can overfill. Yeah. It's not so much about the volume of water. It's about the speed which they take it down and how much at once. So it'd be better to give them a little bit now and then, you know, 15 minutes later, offer them a little bit more just so they're not sucking it all back like a vacuum. Yeah. Now, if it does happen, like what kind of, um, what should we be doing? A vet is that not is a is. very, very serious pet first aid emergency. Yeah. There's not a ton that you can do first aid wise other than number one, recognize it to begin with. It can uh-huh. be quite difficult to recognize. It's often the animal pacing around, looking uncomfortable. They're trying to vomit, but nothing's coming up other than saliva and mm. their stomach starts to get very, very swollen. Eventually they'll collapse. 
And so for you, the most important thing is recognizing it. Uh You can check their gum color, see what their gum color looks like. If it starts to go pale or if you push on it, it takes a long time for the color to come back, more than a couple of seconds. That's a sign that they have poor circulation. But main thing with bloat is very quick emergency veterinary care. So you spotting the signs and symptoms quickly and then accessing the care. Okay. Yeah, that emergency makes me nervous because to me it would be hard because, I mean, these dogs, when they're drinking so fast and they're, they all pace and run around and they all have saliva coming down, it's like, is that, is that bloat? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, it's not a super, super common emergency. However, there are a few breeds that are more prone to it. So that's one of the ones where if you do obtain a purebred animal, it's good to do some research to see if they're predisposed to anything. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for your insight. We are out of time. If you'd like to know more about Walks and Wags Pet First Aid, you can visit, what's the link? Walksandwags.com. Walksandwags.com. That's right. Okay, walksandwags.com. Thank you to our guests and our show producer, Mark Winter, for making this show possible. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for a show, please email me at beverly at petliferadio.com. So until next time, spread animal compassion. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.